So please give Pastor Bill a warm welcome as he comes this morning. Thank you also for this opportunity to, uh, to minister to you. Uh, excuse me while I get set up here. as they used to be. <laughs> Amen. Uh, pastor called me uh, Friday night uh, uh, to tell me that uh, he wouldn't be able to preach and ask me if I would fill in for him today. And uh, <clears throat> of course I said yes. And uh, <laughs> regardless of how I might feel, I would say yes. <laughs> but um, when I, again, I just want to say thank you for uh, this opportunity. Um, usually when I get, if, get called at the last minute like that, it's kind of a, a rush, you know, to try to figure out what I want to say. Uh, and I usually spend a lot of time doing that, like maybe a year or so. Um, and, uh, um, so I had to look uh, kind of hard for some inspiration, and, and I found it in two different people. And um, so, James, if you would put up that first person for me, please. There he is. <laughs> Not exactly scraping the bottom of the barrel here, mind you. But um, uh, Snoopy, uh, I, I do have something in common with Snoopy, uh, uh, along with Pastor Rick. Um, Snoopy was born in 1951. <laughs> that was when he, uh, about a month ago, uh, 72 years ago, uh, he first appeared in Charles Schultz's uh, comic strip. And so, can you believe Snoopy is 72 years old? <laughs> Doesn't look a day over five. <laughs> uh, Walter Cronkite uh, once referred to Snoopy as the hound of heaven that... Uh, comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. Uh, kind of give it an example. He's kind of like a, a type of Holy Spirit. Give it an example. He will crawl into, the be- into Charlie Brown's bread, uh, bed after being left out in the rain, leaving Charlie Brown wide awake and his room smelling like a wet dog. And then there's a Snoopy who, as we see, appears as the constant companion of a scruffy little bird named Woodstock. And so Snoopy kind of is, he kind of fits into whatever situation uh, he finds himself in. And he kind of has a Walter Mitty complex, too. He imagines himself anything, anywhere from uh, an astronaut to a World War I fighter pilot. Uh, but I want us to keep in mind that idea of being a comfort to the afflicted and afflicting the comfortable. So he was my, my first inspiration. My second one comes from a guy named Francis de, uh, uh, Celeste, a French theologian. Now, you probably never heard of him. I, didn't he- I hadn't heard of him until about a week or so ago. Uh, and, and maybe the reason why you haven't heard of him is because he's been dead for 400 years. Um, but uh, he was a pretty prolific writer. He, uh, and I picked up one of his books. Can you imagine being dead for 400 years and they're still publishing your books? Uh, and this book was entitled The Consoling Thoughts on Trials of an Interior Life. 
And the purpose of the book, uh, in this, this one particular book, and he's written several others, um, was the role that God plays in your life during a period of trial. When, when you're really going through some really hard times, maybe it's a sickness or maybe it's a family issue or job situation. It could be anything that's causing stress in your life or uh, may leave you with the thought of, you know, there's, there's no real tomorrow for me, you know. It's just there's nothing there for me anymore. And so these are the times when God is really working in our lives and we don't always recognize it. Uh, we don't recognize it until uh, we become attuned to his presence. Now, unlike Snoopy, who leaves a bad odor in Charlie Brown's room, uh, or like Woodstock, just that uh, fellowship over the campfire, um, God is always present, present in your life. And a couple of uh, verse I want to begin with is... Um, 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verse 12 and 13. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Sometimes when we go through this, uh, trial period or this suffering, whatever it is that you're going through, maybe there's that, that tendency to ask yourself, why me? Uh, I know that in my particular case, I was diagnosed with uh, type 1 diabetes. And uh, I have an older brother. Uh, he did a little research for me uh, to find out, you know, this is supposed to be something you inherit. Uh, but he went back many generations in our family, both sides of our family, and he could find no case of diabetes. And so that kind of left me with the question, why me? <laughs> you know, what did I do? And I find that often, you know, quite, in fact, almost always, God doesn't always answer your why questions. So I think maybe, maybe that's the wrong question to be asking. And Peter is writing to people who are suffering extreme persecution uh, for their faith in Christ. However, trials and afflictions may come to us in various different ways besides persecution. And whatever way we face adversity, we can find comfort in, in the Holy Spirit and in God's Word. And so uh, I come to realize that the why question is really the wrong question to be asking. And the question we should be asking is what? Uh, what, 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 do you, what do you have for me? What is in this that, that you want me to learn? In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 5, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us with all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any way troubled with the comfort with which we ourselves were comforted by, the, by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so also uh, his consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, did we pray? I don't think we prayed. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you that we've had this time to fellowship to laugh together and to learn. And Lord, I just pray for your anointing on us today. 
and give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. So Francis Solis, he, uh, and the part that I read, and I'm sort of making this my daily reading uh, in my devotion, and he lists what I call five truths uh, that we, things that you already know, but things that we need to apply, especially during a time of tribulation or a time of suffering. And, you know, we, we live in very difficult times right now. Uh, we have two very bloody wars going on over in Europe and in Asia with the Ukraine and Russia and uh, with uh, Hamas and Israel. And it has the potential of spreading. But when you look at what's going on on TV and what you might be reading online, you, you, there's a lot of pain and suffering going on. A lot of innocent people are hurting. And to me, that's, that's where... That's where our job comes in. That's where we provide that comfort. And so I want to give these five truths to you uh, that we need to be aware of during this time of suffering. Uh, or if you know someone that is suffering, or when we want to pray for those who are, un who are basically are under the, literally under the gun or under the bombs. Uh, I want us not to be taking sides here, but, but to identify with those that are the innocents. The ones who are on the, you know, not on the fighting edge necessarily, but on the receiving end of all this uh, pain and suffering and, frankly, what I call nonsense. Uh, and most wars are that. You know, during World War I, um, <clears throat> the question uh, that, came, that, that sort of arose after the war was, what were we fighting for? You know, both sides say God is on our side. Uh, the Germans were saying, in God we trust. Um, and nobody could really figure out just what exactly were we fighting for. And so it, it was kind of, you know, millions of people died. And for what? Um, you know, and historians are going to be debating it for, for years to come. And even though it happened over 100 years ago, we're still scratching our heads and we're looking at the situation in Ukraine, which very much, in, or in many ways, mimics the situation in World War I. And we're scratching our heads wondering, when are we going to learn? When are we going to put two and two together and realize that we're not going to get our ways? All we're doing is leaving a trail of destruction and suffering. And, and again, this is where we come in. Truth number one comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, We know that all things work together for the good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Whatever you're going through in your life, God is going through it with you. And there will be an outcome that is to your benefit. Now, you may not realize, I remember years ago when I was in college, we had a... Uh, uh, the head of the, uh, one of the missions departments in, uh, in Springfield. His name was Brother Greenaway. And he, uh, he grew up during the uh, Depression. And his father had abandoned the family. And she was going to give up uh, one of her kids. He had, it was him and his brother. And she was going to give up one to social services. So she's sitting out. And this is, this is taking place in Brooklyn. And they're standing out there on the roadside. 
And this guy pulls up in this big, uh, big, you know, humongous car. And he gets out. He's he's got a fedora hat and he smoke. He's got a cigar in his in between his fingers. And he asks his mother, "Okay, which one goes?" Like he really had a lot of compassion here. And he, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And what she said became kind of like his motto. He said, "We're going to make it." No matter what happens, no matter what we face, you are going to make it. Amen. Now, I don't know what you're going to hear. You, know, he said, you may not look like much when you get there, but you're going to make it. God has your back. And whatever you're dealing with in your life, God is going to take that situation. And he's going to do something in your life that's going to be not only a blessing to you, but it's going to be a blessing to others. As Paul said in Corinthians, that you will be able to comfort those who are going through the same type of suffering that you have gone through because you can now identify with them. Now, as I said, God doesn't always answer the why questions. God is not testing you to see how you'll respond. I've heard that before. He already knows how you're going to respond. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. He's all-wise. But there may be several goals that God has in mind for your life as you're going through this. And I think one of them, probably the most important, has to do with the character of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it says... Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. God wants you to become like Christ. That is his number one goal in your life. I don't care what he's called you to do. However humble it might might seem in, in the eyes of the world or even in the eyes of the church, or whether you're in some position of power and authority, The one thing that God is more concerned about is your character. That you be like Jesus. And you can take whatever you're going through in life and answer the what question. This is, oh, thank you. (laughs) Could you open that, please? Yes. Of course. course. Thank you. Appreciate it. Mm. You're a pal. Uh, No, that's good. I'll call you later. (laughs) And God is not so much concerned about your particular vocation as he is with what kind of a person you are. Um, Each of us are born with certain gifts and certain talents. Uh, Your IQ uh, may be 120,000, or it may be 92. Uh, You may be another Forrest Gump. Uh, That doesn't matter to God. God loves you regardless. It's like Victor Hugo, the the author of The Hunchback of Notre Dame, once wrote that God um, loves you not for who you are, but in spite of who you are. So the character of Christ is the thing that God is wanting to perfect in your life as you're going through whatever trial you're going through. And some are going through some pretty horrific things when you, when you look at the death of a loved one. 
uh, or when you're facing the mortality of your own life and knowing that might soon come to an end. God is still wanting to perfect the image of Jesus in your life. And all things will work to the good to those that love him. And so the main focus, the answer to the what question is, God wants you to love him because he loves you. And he wants you to experience that relationship and for you to give him full liberty in your life to do whatever he desires to do in your life. The second truth is that God is a loving father. Uh, in, in, on in three occasions in the New Testament, uh, the term Abba, Father, uh, is used to describe uh, God. Now, in the context that it is used in the New Testament, the word Abba designates a position of honor. Now, in the Arabic uh, language, the word Abba is a kind of a uh, term of endearment, like dad or daddy or papa or something of that nature. But it, it, it denotes the recognition of God's deity and his authority in our lives, and yet at the same time that there is this intimacy that exists between you and God. Uh, so in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, it says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I remember uh, as a young Christian reading that verse for the first time, uh, the, the part that stood out to me was the word nothing. Uh, you know, nothing can be a lot. <laughs> nothing can separate us from the love of God. Now, I know our Calvinist friends, uh, you know, they may teach eternal security, and I've known uh, people in, in our own denomination that believe in eternal insecurity. Uh, but God, it is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Nothing can separate us, and nothing should separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So if nothing can separate us, all these things that Paul lists, and he says, none of these things can separate us, then that means I have the assurance that he is always going to be in my life, whether I realize it or not, whether I feel it or not. Uh, a lot of times, you know, we, we base our faith on, on a feeling or an impression that we might have. And, and I'm not discounting the importance of that in your, how that works in your life, but it, it is not the thing that I put my faith in. I put my faith in the immutable fact that the word says that he will be with me always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now that's either true or it's not true. In a court of law, guilt or innocence is established by what is by a legal term called the preponderance of the evidence. And a jury is given, before a jury makes a decision, they have to examine the evidence and determine guilt or innocence based on the preponderance of the evidence. Well, the word gives us that evidence. 
that he is always with us. I can, I can take it to the bank. I can rely on it. It doesn't matter how I feel, whether I feel good or whether I feel bad, whether I feel like he's close to me or I, I, I feel like I'm 100 miles away from him. I still know that as the hound of heaven, he is still with me. The third truth is that God will always give you what you need. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, it says, And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Uh, I haven't heard this phrase used lately, although it was pretty prominent at one time, especially uh, back when I was in college. Name it and claim it. And uh, I don't know, has anybody ever heard that phrase lately? Yeah. Oh, you still, it's still around. Oh, gee. <laughs> I can't imagine that's still around. Name it. We used to call it blab it and grab it. <laughs> but God will give you what you need. And you have to believe that. You have to believe that. This, this is where faith is established. This is where your faith is genuinely challenged. When you see that there is no way that this can be done, there's no way that that need can be met, you know, you're kind of at, the, at, at, the, at a dead end. And that's when God begins to do his work. When you come to the realization that you cannot do this, only under the power of the Holy Spirit can it be done. And whatever it is that God has called you to do, he will give you the means to do it. Amen. <clears throat> there was a time after I had graduated from seminary, um, I was given an opportunity to teach at an, an Indian Bible college uh, in a place called Mobridge, South Dakota. It's kind of like being sent to Siberia. Um, and we, we had spent, uh, our first mission uh, experience was in Spain, and he came back from Spain. I went to seminary, graduated, and so I began to contact all of my churches that um, uh, had supported us while we were on the mission field and trying to, uh, and that, that's one of the hard things about being a missionary. It's not ministering on the, on the mission field, but raising the money to get there. And keep telling the churches to keep sending that money in. Now, I could tell you some horror stories about that, but I'm going to move on here a little bit. Well, we were itinerating, and after three months, I had a total of $100 in our missions account. And uh, I came to realize that maybe this is not what God wanted us to do, because that, that door had closed. Now, it seemed like, uh, like a great opportunity. I had great references uh, from my seminary teachers, um, but it wasn't working out. And come to find out that over a period of a couple of years afterwards, that because that door didn't open, another door did open for us to go back on the mission field and spent five of really beautiful years in Europe uh, ministering to military people. And so when you put your life in the hands of God and you say, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, I just surrender my life, you make it happen. And God will bring it to pass. Commit your way unto the Lord and he will bring it to pass. The fourth truth 
that we need to bear in mind is eternal life. You're going to live forever. Now, I don't know how you're going to get to, get to that point. Okay, now you may live to be 100. Um, or you may die, uh, yeah, I mean, we could, we could go tonight, uh, God forbid. But we know that we pass from death unto life, not life unto death. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15 through 18, it says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Belief in God is not some mythology. It is not some delusion. It's not some, uh, you know, story. But God is real. He's as real as the wood in this pulpit. It is, it is the substance of things, of something not yet realized. The conviction of things not seen. Uh, I know in our, in our own ministry, uh, I remember a year before we, we went to Italy, uh, I was teaching uh, junior high class uh, in, a, in a private uh, church school in Florida. And I had uh, arranged for a field trip to go to Cape Kennedy. And they had this big IMAX theater. I don't know, has anybody ever been to that place? The big IMAX theater? I mean, it's tremendous. And Walter Cronkite is, is the narrator uh, at that particular. This is back in the uh, uh, 1980s. And just when the shuttle was just beginning to um, you know, put a, uh, become more useful. And there was a segment there where um, the shuttle is flying over Italy. And Walter Cronkite is pointing out the various different places of importance on that peninsula, like Florence, where uh, Leonardo da Vinci declared that men can fly and different other locations where important events of history uh, were taking place. And it never occurred to me, and it couldn't have occurred to me, there's no way of knowing that I was actually looking at my backyard. But that's always been the way it seems that wherever we have gone, sometime in the past, God has shown us some vision or some image of what we're going to be doing uh, in the near future. And so this is the, this is the beauty of living by faith, that we not only have eternal life, but the life that we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. There is nothing more rewarding, nothing more exciting, nothing more fulfilling than a life lived by faith. And believe me, it can be pretty exciting. 
uh, because you don't always know what the next day is going to bring. And so, by faith, we prepare ourselves for, for whatever the outcome. The fifth and the last truth is we live a crucified life. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, uh, but it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I live now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He loves me and he gave himself for me. But Paul, as a prerequisite to this, says that I have to be crucified. I die daily so that I might live in Christ. You know, whatever you're going through, whether it's a sickness or terminal illness, uh, all of us have heard and uh, rejoice in testimonies of people who've been healed. Um, and, and the Bible certainly speaks about healing. Uh, there's an abundance of scripture that talks about healing. And I, I remember one time uh, we had gone on a vacation uh, uh, in, uh, in the area around Naples, and we decided to take a trip over to Pompeii. And so we were walking around Pompeii, having a good old time. When I got back, it had these huge blisters on my feet. Um, and one of them healed, but the other one became infected. And, and I ended up having to be hospitalized in an uh, Air Force hospital in Germany. Uh, long story short, the passage of scripture that I focused on while I was there was in Psalms 103, where he says, and he heals all your diseases. Amen. Okay, let's, let's apply that to me. <laughs> okay, what's going on here? One thing, I was, one thing I came to realize is that sometimes your physical issues, your physical problems or disease or f whatever it is that you're dealing with, in the eyes of God may not be as important as the disease that's in your heart. And God is saying, first things first. Let's take care of the inner man. Because the outer man, uh, that's... That's going to resolve itself one way or the other. And so I came to the conclusion that God has more than just one option to heal us. There's the first option, which we all want. We want to be prayed over and be healed, you know, instantly, or at least by the next day. <laughs> But then there are those who, who don't get that healing. I have a friend of mine, he was my worship leader in Spain. He's a former Navy pilot. He was, was a pastor in, out in Oregon. He's retired now. But for years, he's dealt with kidney failure. And they can't do a transplant on him because he keeps testing positive for MRSA. You know, that infection uh, that can spread in your body very rapidly. And so they're not going to do anything until that clears up when it doesn't seem like it wants to be cleared up. A very virulent, very resilient uh, bacteria. 
And I remember talking to him on the phone one time, and he said, I've had my period of yelling at God. But he had resigned himself to what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he says, where God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Now that may seem like a contradiction, which on the surface it it seems like it. But what comes to my mind is a man named William Wilberforce, who was instrumental in eliminating uh, slavery in England back in, uh, it took many years to do this, to convince Parliament to go along with it. But finally, in 1834, they finally outlawed uh, uh, slavery in most of the English, uh, British Empire. But during that whole time, Wilberforce struggled with uh, physical weakness and sickness. And he must have had a pretty strong constitution because he didn't go until he was 73. But during, his, during most of his adult life, he struggled with one ailment after another. But you see, in the crucified life, we know that our flesh is crucified, but our spirit abounds. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 53 through 54, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and the mortal shall put on immortality. So that when this corruptible has put on incorruptible, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall, we be, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is, <clears throat> excuse me, death is swallowed up in victory. Now I believe that this is a promise. God's second option in healing is what I would call the medical option. You see, when God made man, he gave him a brain. And not only that, but he expected us to use it. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise, surprise. And I think the third option is what I call, was what I read here, where death swallowed up in victory. Mortality shall put on immortality. There'll be no more crying, no more tears, for the former things are passed away. Behold, everything becomes new, a new heaven and a new earth. So that kind of brings it to an end. <laughs> you only gave me a few, few hours there to work on this. <laughs> Um, let me just uh, recommend this book to you. Uh, Consoling Thoughts on the Trials of an Interior Life. You can get it on Amazon for a few bucks. Uh, and you might want to look up some of the other books that he's written. So let's pray, and then I'll turn it back over to Pastor. Heavenly Father, we just thank you once again for this time to just to look into your word to thank you for all of your blessings. And we thank you most of all, Father, for your presence here among us. Help us to draw nigh unto you, Father, at this time. In Jesus' name we pray and thank you. 
Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Bill. Praise the Lord.